Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with Steven van Belengen from Bruges, Belgium and I'm really happy to have him here because he's a well-known expert in uh, customer experience. He's a speaker and he travels to different countries all over the world to talk about this topic and really teach entrepreneurs and businesses how to do it better. Also, he started Snackbite, a social media agency a few years ago, but he's out of this company operationally nowadays. So he focuses on uh, speaking events and conferences. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. Hey, Steven, it's really good to have you here. How are you today? Hey, Daniel, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm good and I hope the same for you. Yeah, thank you. Everything is going great. Thank you. Okay. Before we jump into CX, and actually I forgot to mention that how I found Steven. So I found his YouTube channel. It's worth to check it out because it's one of the best YouTube channels on this uh, topic. And it's not just e-commerce, but it's it's really broad. So it's about customer experience uh, in any kind of industry. So without any limits to industry or niche. How did you start this YouTube channel and when was it? I, I started my YouTube channel in, I think it was 2010. And then I posted one video. I wrote my first book in 2010. It's called The Conversation Manager. And I made a video like this animated video that was doing really the trend. And I posted it and, and it actually was quite a hit. I think it has more than 50,000 views or so. And then I didn't post anything for the five years after. After that, And then in 2014, okay. I was like, I'm doing a lousy job here with that YouTube channel. So I decided to take it more seriously. And I made like this series of videos. And I, I still remember I posted them. And I personally thought those were like the, the best videos ever, of course. And I thought the entire world will have to see those because they're so good. That was what I thought. That was, of course, a big disappointment because like only 200 people watched the first videos. But I kept on sharing videos. I, I took it very seriously. And now we're like eight years further. And now I have a, a pretty active group of people who watch my content and I enjoy it myself. I make videos a few per month and for me it's like a, a rhythm that I have to make sure that I have to have enough new content every time so it helps me to stay sharp and I'm very happy with, with the amount of people who are watching. I'm very happy that you discovered me that way. That's the goal of that, uh, of that channel. I'm happy with the result but it took a few years. I think it took two or three years before it really took off. I can hear it again and again from YouTubers. We are getting traction but it's still slow. It's slow Oh, um, the, the hardest thing is the first 1,000 subscribers, and then you're starting to have a community, and it's you, you start to feel it, I think, that when people start to talk about it to you, and they see you and say, oh, I've seen your video, and now when I meet people, I'll say, oh, I know you from the videos, uh, so that's that's really cool, and, and maybe that's even more important than the raw facts, just the fact that people recognize you from the channel and say, oh, yeah. I know your videos, I think that's that's the goal that you want to achieve. I started a podcast almost two years ago, so it's older, and there I can see bigger traction already. So probably the first 100 episodes and YouTube videos, first 50 maybe on YouTube, it's hard to get traction there. But once you start having the community, then you can see a big change. Yeah. I think in the in in the first two years, like you with the, with the podcast and me with the YouTube channel, you always have the feeling that you're over investing for the kind of mm -hmm. results that you get. Yeah, and it's like most people give up before they reach that point 
where the whole situation turns upside down, where you keep your investments as they are, but suddenly you have so many people more that you reach and, and people are talking about it and then it becomes fun. But most people give up before they reach that point where you actually see the return on all your efforts. Yeah, yeah. I can see it as well. So let's talk about customer experience more, okay. uh, the customer journey. I will ask a few specific questions from you. I could see these on your YouTube channels. So one of your videos was about how to make the customer journey more emotional. And I think it's more and more important every year because let's say six years ago, we had Facebook ads and you know tech guys, they had some advantage because they had to sell up a lot of tiny things targeting and all of that even 20 years ago to, to make a website it was super difficult it was really a nerdy thing everyone tells me this who's in e-commerce i think the barrier of entry when it comes to the technical things it's been going down and down so today with shopify it's quite easy to start a new e-commerce business we have stripe so there are many advanced tools nowadays so i think that's why emotions and customer experience in general it's becoming more and more important can you tell us how to make it more emotional in general? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I fully agree with your, with your analysis. The past 10 years were really about making things very convenient. And today, I think, especially after the big digital jump forward from COVID, I think today convenience has become a commodity. We have a world now where there's almost zero tolerance for digital inconvenience. People are not willing to waste their precious time to the digital incompetence of an organization. So it has become a commodity, which means that if you're not convenient, that people will not use you and you're not going to be successful. If you are convenient, that that is like the most natural thing in the world. So it's no longer a positive differentiator, it's a negative differentiator. And, and being very convenient is very cool, but it only creates a very strong transactional relationship. So the goal to differentiate yourself in the next couple of years will be indeed to make it more emotional. And I see two ways to create a more emotional bond with customers. The first one is what I call a partner in life strategy, where you try to understand the human behind the customer and where you try to understand that every human has like a film of their life in the back of their mind with things that they hope will happen, things they hope will not happen with dreams and fears and ambitions. We all have that film of our life in the back of our mind. And the better you understand that from each of your individual customers, the more value you can bring in the life of people. So to become more emotional, it's not about optimizing the customer journey. It's about creating positive change in the life journey of people. And the skill that you need here is a typical human skill like empathy. Empathy makes sure that you understand the customer. It's not about knowing the customer. It's about understanding the customer. And if you do so, you can have the right communication. You can have the right information flow. You do the right actions to really make that happen. So that's one strategy to make it more emotional. The second one is about society. I think if you look to the world today, there are a lot of challenges on our plate. We, we have a fight against racism and discrimination. We have more geopolitical tension than we had in the last 70 years. We have climate crisis that is becoming more and more urgent. And we're still in the biggest healthcare crisis of our generation. So there's, there's a lot on our plate. And more and more customers expect organizations really to make a difference, to become part of the solution. I'm not just talking about being sustainable. I'm really talking about using your strengths to make a difference towards society. That is a second strategy to become more emotional. And, and basically, in my opinion, this is what a good customer experience looks like. You have that basic need of having a great product and great digital convenience. But on top of that, you build that emotional relationship with the partner in life philosophy and by adding value to society. Yeah. Do you think it applies to small businesses as well? Because I know you probably talk to many bigger businesses as well, but many small business owners, they think like, okay, but this is for big corporations. This is not really for me. I'm happy to make some money 
money at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. do you think it's also for them? Absolutely. No, no doubt about that, because a customer doesn't make a difference between a smaller or a big company. A customer just looks at the value that they receive. And today, I mean, if you have an e-commerce platform as a small company, if it's not as convenient as the big players is, are, then people will not buy from you. It, it's not because yeah. you're small that people sympathize with you. They, they are willing to sympathize, but you need to bring the same convenient levels. And then for the emotional part, I mean, partner in life, understanding your customer, this is what small businesses should really excel in. I'm convinced that this is the domain where small businesses can actually make a difference compared to big organizations where a customer is more like a number. If you're a small organization, there's always someone who knows your customer. And if you understand the customer, you can become that partner in life. And by adding value to society, if you're a small local company, try not to change the world, try to change your world. Look at things in your own local community where there's a challenge, where there's a problem, and see how you can help, how you can contribute. And if you do so, and you will build that more emotional relationship. So absolutely, this is also the, the strategy, in my opinion, for smaller businesses. Yeah, and uh, I think many small, medium-sized businesses, this is how they stand out, not just with the product or with their marketing, but I think everyone can name a few small brands that we like because they have a very charismatic founder, and they are really passionate about one topic or helping one segment of the society. There are brands like that. And as you said, bigger companies, they tend to look at people as numbers while smaller companies can really stand out regarding this. So my next question is related to this first one, which is the future of customer experience. So you mentioned convenience is commoditized, emotions become more important. But besides that, what's the future of customer experience? Let's see in the next five years, what can we expect? There are basically two key evolutions that, that fascinate me. The, the first one is everything related to technology. Technology is evolving, and because of that, the expectations of customers are evolving. And, and the second dimension is the human part. As technology evolves, what does that mean for the, the human customer service, human customer experience? And it's also based those two that I look at. If you look at the digital part, there are like two evolutions that really fascinate me. The first one is completely related to artificial intelligence. AI was the hype between 2015 and 2020. Now the hype has decreased a little bit, and that's usually the point where it really starts to work because we all know it's like the, the technology really has a big impact in the second half of the adoption curve. And I think with AI, we're reaching that point that it will start to really work and make a difference. And AI will help us to automate customer relations. We'll make it more personalized. We'll make it faster. And those are a few benefits that can really make a difference. The second technology trend that will change a lot in the next five years is the hype of this moment, which is the whole Web3 evolution, which is a little bit of blurred evolution now, because on the one hand, it's about the blockchain and it's about crypto, how that will change customer experience. And then you have the whole evolution of the metaverse that has become a real hype since Mark Zuckerberg rebranded his own company. I think those will have a huge impact in the next five to 10 years. Uh, if you look at Web3 and then specifically to blockchain and the possibilities there, I mean, there's a lot going on now with NFTs and, and with, with crypto. I always try to translate that technology to what it means for customers. And in my opinion, the biggest change in customer experience because of Web3 will be customer loyalty. Uh, because okay. if you look to customer loyalty today, I mean, it's still very old-fashioned. It's like you have to buy 10 breads and then you get the 11th for free. Or you have to stay 40 nights in a hotel and then they give you an upgrade to a suite. So in, in this old philosophy of loyalty... It all starts from the customer that has to prove his loyalty first. I think in this new world, it will turn around where loyalty starts from the organization 
And if an organization shows me that they are loyal to me, the customer, then I will reward them with my loyalty. And take, for instance, branded coins. Imagine that a supermarket starts with their own coin as a loyalty instrument. Today in Belgium, when I go to the supermarket, I have to save 500 points and then I get a discount of five euro. It's not creating my loyalty to them. What if I have a coin of that supermarket, which means that if the supermarket performs well, the value of my coin goes up. So as soon as I invest one euro in that supermarket and I get a coin as a rewarding system and they become successful, I benefit from that. That means that as a customer, you're almost like a shareholder. You have skin in the game, which means that you don't, after a while, that you don't remain a customer. It means that you really have a reason to go to that company because the more successful they are, the more value you get, which means that there's a chance that you will evolve towards an active ambassador because you have the same goal. So I believe customer loyalty will hugely evolve because of this Web3 strategy. That's that's something that I'm really excited about for the next couple of years. And then the, the, the other side of the equation, the human part, I am convinced that the more digital the world becomes, the more value we will find in a human relationship. This is related to the old law, the old law of scarcity, this economic law that yeah, it learns becomes us. more valuable. Yeah, exactly. If something becomes scarce, it increases in value. The human part is decreasing right now in frequency because of that, it's becoming more premium. The only thing we need to be aware of is that the, the role of humans will change and we will have to excel more in those fields where technology is not good at, more the empathy, more the creativity, more the, the passion, the enthusiasm. And if we can really make a difference there as humans, we will always add value to the customer relationship. Those are like the different angles that I follow very closely to see how this will influence customer experience in the next couple of years. Yeah, really interesting. And also that you mentioned that uh, the current loyalty systems, they mostly affect the revenue of the company, higher lifetime value of the customer. But with Web3, it's more about active, almost like investors, share, shareholders as the, as, of the company, as you said. Daniel, it could even change business models. Imagine that you are a talented singer-songwriter, but unfortunately, you cannot find a record company that wants to give you a contract. In the old days, it was game over for you. I mean, you could become a street musician, but that was it. Today, you, as a talented singer-songwriter, you can go on TikTok, you create your own community yeah. there, and then your first songs, you release them as an NFT. And your first community of TikTok fans buy them. And you include a smart contract that where the rule is 90% of the revenues go to you, Daniel. 10% of the revenues go to the early investors in your music. If you compare that with a record deal, this is much better. Because when you yeah. work with a record company, they will take 90% of the revenue and 10% is for you. So th- this is a completely different business model. And the early fans become ambassadors. Because if you become successful, they will make a lot of money. And the ball starts to roll. Uh, imagine that you would be an early NFT investor in the young Ed Sheeran. And today you get 10% of the royalties of all his work. I mean, that would be a pretty awesome deal. I think there are a lot of opportunities there that will make customers more attached to a brand if companies play it um, the right way. Yeah, 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 I agree. I didn't want to mention NFTs because it's probably more niche than Web3 and crypto in general. But I also believe in those and Shopify released their uh, beta of NFTs, I think two months ago, earlier this year. Should we talk about channels more specifically? So... Email marketing, SMS marketing, even social media, how someone can get closer to their followers, subscribers, customers in those channels? Well, I'm a fan of every channel. My belief is that every channel brings value as long as you use it in a way that it actually brings value to that customer. Social media, in my opinion, is is really the best instrument for, for your content, which means that 
you need to find this rhythm of content sharing and 90% probably should be non-related to a product, but just telling your story, sharing your expertise, giving a behind the scenes look. Maybe you need to have a concept that you can work with every week or every month so that you don't need to rethink it every single time. And if you inspire people by doing so, then 10% of your content can be really targeted to, to increase con conversion. And that's basically the goal. Uh, and the only difference, in my opinion, between these channels is, or the two differences is that you need to understand the channel to make sure that the content is adapted to the channel. And two, that you need to understand that some channels are more expensive than others to get the attention of the user. Yeah. Uh, today on Facebook, you can have the best content in the world, but it's very hard to have organic reach versus on LinkedIn. I'm still amazed with the organic reach that you can get on TikTok. The organic reach yeah. is amazing. And that is sometimes I feel an opportunity that some companies tend to forget that they wait until a new platform or a new medium matures, and then it becomes expensive to be successful. Whereas if you're on that new platform early days, yeah, then you can really have a good price quality. Email yeah. marketing today is difficult to get the attention, so it becomes more expensive. TikTok is very cheap to get the attention because it's not saturated yet by brands. Would you differentiate between, so on TikTok, there is more outreach for the same price, let's say, but would you differentiate between the viewers? I mean, maybe one eyeball on email or Facebook, it's worth more than one on TikTok. I'm a big fan of reaching and scaling to many audiences and to be top of mind with your content. And if you have that reach, if you have that scale, it gives you the permission from the audience to now and then really go for that conversion. It's very hard to quantify it, in my opinion. You know, you can have a video on YouTube that has 100 views. And if there are two people in it that are really crucial for your business, then your ROI may be amazing versus having a video with 100,000 people watching it. And there's no one who really understands how to how to work with you. It's very hard to rationalize on things. That's why my personal strategy is to be on every platform and try to reach as many as possible, build that awareness. And then, for instance, when I have a new book out, I will push it and try to convert sales out of it. And then usually it works, is my opinion. Versus if you're not on all these platforms and you wait until you have something that you want to convert, then it's sometimes difficult because you don't have that liaison, you don't have that connection with your audience. I think the content still, it must be uh, relevant for the audience. So you Absolutely. can reach millions of people with cat videos. I think that's <laughs> the best example. But, you know, if it's not relevant for your product, if you sell an e-commerce product, then yeah. it will be hard. I agree. Um, I agree. And sometimes it's so disappointing. Huh? I, I try to make all these content related about customer experience and I put it on my Instagram. I do a lot of research for that. And then yesterday afternoon, we have a we have a new rabbit in our house. We bought a second rabbit, a very small, cute rabbit. And I placed it on our table where I was working. My wife took a picture of it. She placed it on Instagram yesterday and it gets so many more likes than my serious content. I'm always like, guys, the other stuff is more relevant. But when you add a cat or a rabbit sometimes, yeah. it's a boost in, in convenience, but uh, in boost in, in reach and engagement. But you're right. It doesn't add value to the business, but it shows a more personal touch at that moment. But I fully agree. Was, with was it analysis. on your profile or your wife's Instagram? No, it was on my profile. I placed it on my yeah. profile. Me so and my rabbit. <laughs> you speak about professional things, but still you inject this kind of content sometimes because it boosts the engagement. And I agree with that. I do the same. So yeah, uh, people like to see the human behind the business. Huh? Yeah. And I'm of and course my business. I mean, it's very close. The rabbit yeah. is part of my life. I talk about the rabbits in my talks. So people know that there's a rabbit and then they see the rabbit in real life. I think we need to be more human. I think w there, there are way too many companies that are boring online. Huh? Uh, like many B2B companies think that B2B stands for 
you're boring to boring. That is <laughs> not the case. Yeah. So you need to be, you need to make it human and fun as well. Let's talk about MPS service. I saw it in one of your videos. So mm-hmm. let's not talk about what it is, what this means. I think the listeners, they all know that. Okay, I send out a Net Promoter Score survey and I get different numbers, but how should I really use it uh, yeah. if I get that feedback? Very happy with this question. Most companies measure it and then communicate the score in the organization. Let's say you have 26 and then they tell the teams we want to go to 30. And and usually that's where it ends. My experience is that this is something that leadership people really like to play with, but that people in the field are like, whatever, uh, guys of 26 or 30, there's there's no connect. And so if you want to make NPS work... Why is uh, that, by the way? Because they don't care about it. I mean, it, it's very abstract for them. What, what mm-hmm. is this 26? Is it good or is it bad? And why will 30 be better? They don't no. know. Yeah, I also have stories in, in our team as well. When we got some kind of, you know, some number, let's say a neutral or even bad feedback, it happens. And mm-hmm, uh, I talked to the account manager who talked to the client regularly and, oh, really, I got six out of 10. That's strange. I just talked to this guy yesterday. He was so happy. I don't get it. <laughs> and then there is a misalignment between me and the account manager who talks to the client regularly. And I just see the number. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, the story, the context is sometimes missing. But what is crucial is that as a business leader, that you look at the data, but that you dive deep, deeper in the data and that you try to understand or that you try to translate what that data means for every individual employee, where you go to your account manager, for instance, and that you say, hey, look, dear account manager, you got a six. And that's because this small detail that may not be important to you was really crucial to the client. And it's this one thing that really gave or explained this low score. So if you improve that part of your job, you're going to have nine or tens. Or when you're in e-commerce that you can say to the people in the warehouse, for instance, look, if you increase your accuracy with, with X percent, then at the end of the cycle, customers will be so much more excited about what we do. And then it becomes real. Then you can tell every employee, look, this is your impact. This is your personal impact on the final score. And then it becomes very concrete. And then people can change their behavior in a way that it makes sense. You can guide them towards new forms of behavior and it makes sense to them. And this disconnect between the figures that senior management plays with and the day-to-day activities on the floor, that's the reason why MPS usually doesn't have any impact for a company. If you remove that disconnect, then you're starting to work on it actively and then you see changes. Yeah, that's really interesting. Same with, uh, not just with MPS, but other KPIs, I think. Yeah, I started talking about account managers. They started taking care of the PNL of their clients of their accounts and uh, I can see it's not easy for them to learn it it's quite abstract but yeah, uh, they will learn that. it yeah I have it's one... again it's it's basically yeah. relevance also like we said with our mm-hmm. content marketing the same goes to your teams if you make it relevant for them then they're going to act upon yeah, it more tangible the numbers yeah. yeah true and also on the flip side by the way so I think the leaders they should connect with the customers and mm-hmm. get not just quantitative feedback and numbers but qualitative ask the account manager or customer support, whatever, and talk to the clients, the customers regularly, because then the leader will get too distant from the customers. So Yeah, and I, I agree. I agree. It has to do with empathy. And you do not build empathy by looking at statistics of your customers. Yeah. If you only look at statistics like 80% is happy, this is the top 5% of our revenue, it's all really interesting, but it does not build empathy. The yeah. only way to build empathy is actually have conversations with your clients where you listen to their needs. Now I'm going a bit deep, but 
so you mentioned empathy a few times and many business guys they are analytical by nature mm-hmm. or uh, they don't think of themselves as very empathetic they are not musicians or actors you know who are usually really good at it but uh, how it can be learned especially in business you're absolutely right that's a challenge and i think how to learn it is to plan for yourself one-on-one conversations with your customer where you don't have an agenda to talk about yourself. Usually when business leaders make an appointment with their customer, it's because they want to sell them something. It's because they have a new product. It's because they have a new service and they try to steal some of the time of the customer to push that message through, which is fine. I'm a big fan of of doing sales and proactive sales. So that's fine. But it's also Mm -hmm. interesting to to book time with your customers or make sure that you have the opportunity to, to spend time with your customers and just listen to them. What's important in your business? What's going well? Where do you still have challenges? What's difficult in your business? If you understand those, that's the moment that you can add value to that life journey of customers that I talked about. It will help you to understand maybe some unmet needs that your customers have and that you think, hey, we could maybe even help there. And when you have those kind of conversations, that's when you start to build empathy. But most business leaders don't make time for it. So making time for that empathic part is is, is really important. I have one more question. So what are those brands that you recommend to follow in 2022, especially in e-commerce? But you can mention not only e-commerce brands. So what are those brands and companies where... You think they are really excel at empathy and customer experience? Well, there are a number of, of big international names that are companies that have been around for almost 100 years or more than 50 mm-hmm. years and that succeed in transforming themselves. Two that I really follow closely are Disney and Walmart. Okay. Two old companies that are reinventing themselves on a digital level and on a more empathic customer level with ups and downs. Not everything is a success what they do, but I find it interesting to see how they evolve. If we really look into e-commerce, there's a company in the Netherlands that I find fascinating. I don't know if you will all understand what they do, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a company called Cool Blue. And they are one of the most popular e-commerce platforms in the Benelux. And they have a style that is very unique. They're e-commerce, so of course they're convenient, trying to do whatever they can. But they're very good in being human, very good in being empathic. They're very good in their communication. Like what they do is they look, for instance, to questions that they have in their customer service department. Imagine someone buys a TV or someone buys a PlayStation and then they get a whole bunch of questions like, how should I connect it? How does it work? I cannot do it. Help me. So they list these questions. And after what they do is every day, they make like 10 to 20 videos for their YouTube channel. And for every question that they receive, they make a video. So they say how to connect your PlayStation 4, wow. how to connect your TV. And what they've seen is that because of that, their the number of questions in their contact center is down. But the amount of of quality and the amount of positive feedback because of that is is insane. And they make all those videos themselves. It's just their own employees as humans that describe that. They have this small studio and they make videos all the time. I didn't check recently, but last time I checked, they had more than 40 million views on their YouTube channel. They are, and it's in Dutch, so it's a very local YouTube channel, but they're extremely successful. And and they do all these kind of cool things. They they have jokes that they do where their founder and CEO then makes a, a video, a silly video. They're really into sustainability where they try to make a difference so it's it's one of my favorite e-commerce companies in the world so cool blue it's called as i said it's in dutch their communication but it's worth checking them out to see how they communicate and what they do okay i will definitely check it out after this so they really uh post 10 20 videos a day some days they do yeah it, it depends uh from from day to day remember i said last time i checked they had uh, what was it 40 million views 
Now they have 130 million views on their YouTube channel as a Dutch-speaking e-commerce company. See, it, it depends. Uh, they slow down their rhythm a little bit is what I see. They post like one video a day is their average now. Yeah. But in the early the days, they had, uh, it was it was insane how much they posted in the beginning. But now they slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Steven, uh, for uh, this uh, podcast today. It was really uh, insightful, I would say. And thanks okay. everyone who listened to us uh, today on the live stream or later the podcast. And uh Stay tuned because every week we come out with two episodes now. We just uh, increase the number of weekly episodes. Yeah, thanks again. Have a great day, everyone. Hey, thanks for having me, Daniel.